exciting news. Yes. It is launch week around these parts. So our Wayman Unlimited onboarding coaching program is now open for enrollment. If you are a digital creator who's looking to add more predictability, more profit, and more peace into your business, our Wayman Unlimited program is here to help you. Through our monthly onboarding coaching sessions, we'll remove the overwhelm of growing your business and give you specific marketing tactics to focus on each month so you can grow, but at a sustainable pace. Because we're all steady, about... Steady. Slow growth around here. We take a slow and steady approach to running a calm business so you can reach your business goals without sacrificing your well-being. By the way, also included in Wayman Unlimited is a lifetime account to our core software, Tea Tree, which is the most customizable and brandable course platform on the market. You also get access to a member favorite group accountability system we call Wayme of Stones. That's Please right. don't sue us, Game of Thrones. <laughs> where we blend fun and action taking together in our weekly Wayme Slack community through doing some accountability and sharing our goals, getting our tasks done every single week. That's right. If you are interested in joining Wayman Unlimited, head to wanderingaimfully.com slash join to learn more and get all the details. And just as a reminder, the doors will be open until March 26th. Hello, and welcome back to Wandering Aimfully, the show. We are so excited to have you. In this episode, we are going to talk about customers. Customers, the good ones, the bad ones, how to get rid of the ones that won't give you all the money they have in their bank account. No, Why you're doesn't kidding. everyone just give us all their money? You're joking. I am. No, but we do explore uh, how to deal with bad customers, which is something that we've dealt with both in client businesses and in product businesses. Uh, and we also explore just some stories and some thoughts and some lessons we've learned uh, on how to think ahead in your customer's journey when they do become a customer. And a couple of different ways to attract the right kind of customers, um, some important things to keep in mind in your marketing when you are trying to serve those customers, some ways that you can ensure that your customers have a good experience. And so we hope that for for you business folks out there, this is going to be an episode that... Oh, don't just, don't hamstring us. We hope that for all the folks, whether you we have a business or not. We hope that for all the folks, this Thank is going, to, going to be an interesting business episode. There we go. Where you get lots of helpful nuggets and tidbits for your own business. Or if you're, like Jason said, just a person without a business who likes to talk about customers, yeah. this episode is for you. Also, if you have any gray hairs, stick around to the end. You're going to learn something today. Hashtag wild and bristly. Find out what that means. Hey there, we're Jason and Caroline Zook, a husband and wife team who believes life is just one big experiment. This is the show where we share our journey as we figure out this ever-changing thing called life. We cover topics like running a business, traveling the world, and clawing our way out of debt, all with the hope of inspiring you to live, work, and create with more intention. Life might bring its twists and turns, but when you know who you are and what you want, you're never really lost. Welcome to Wandering Aimfully, the show. Hello, Caroline. Hello, Jason. What Welcome talk- back. What are we talking about? <laughs> Today's episode, we are going to talk about customers. Mm. So it's a more business-focused episode. Okay. And I want to start by asking you, what's your position on customers? I like them. My favorite Pro part, customer? My favorite part is when they give us money mm. and not just when they give us not money, just but they, they really enjoy the thing they gave us money for. That's my favorite part. In all seriousness, I feel like this is a fun episode because if there's one thing that I feel like you've taught me oh, go on. over the course of working together and just seeing you operate in business, it's to really take care of your customers. And would you say that taking care of your customers is just an overall like business strategy of yours or do you think it just comes like naturally to you totally or both I, I think it does come naturally i think just by nature i care about 
people that I care about. So you care about people, right? So I don't care, care about, about like the majority of people. We know that. we know this about me. Mm-hmm. This is just an honest truth. But the people that I care about, I really care about. Yes. Uh, so you know, fast forward to today where we are, our wandering gameplay members. I care about those people greatly. I will go above and beyond for them. I will direct message, I'll email, I'll get on calls and do whatever. I just really care about them being happy and succeeding and building a life and business they want. Um, but before that, I think even before when I was working, you know, my first couple jobs, the customers that would come into, let's say a store or mm-hmm. whatever, I just took great pride in making those people happy. And I remember when I pumped gas at the gas station, I was 15, I cared about not getting gas on mm-hmm. people's cars, mm-hmm. efficiently pumping their gas. If they had to wait in line, let, like going up to them and letting them know like, hey, I'll be right with you. You can see there's a lot of cars. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do some of those things, but when you actually care, and I think it's kind of interesting, um, we can segue this episode in so many different directions, but like one of our biggest pet peeves is... When we walk into a... I know exactly where you're yeah. going. We walk into a restaurant, yep. we approach a hostess stand, yep. and... For whatever reason, that person is busy, which right. is fine. They're doing something. Yep. But they don't even take the second to look up, acknowledge your presence, and say, I'll be right with you, and then get back to whatever the task is. They just, their brain can't comprehend, like, they have to do what they're doing. And so it's the worst feeling in the world when you walk in and you're just waiting for someone to acknowledge your presence as yep. a customer. I, all I want is for you to go, hey, I'll just be right with you. Just hold on one second. And I'd be like, cool, you acknowledge me. I exist. Thank you so much. It's not like this happens to us that often, but when it does, we just look at each other and we just instantly know. like, Because that to us is the antithesis of what we try to do in business, which is make every person feel seen, acknowledged, heard, and try to do whatever we can in order to solve whatever problem they have. You yeah. know? I think for me where a lot of this stems is so many business owners think of customers as transactions. Exactly. It's you're a name on a spreadsheet or in a report or whatever and you gave me money and like I just need more of you. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think of it as like that's a relationship, not mm-hmm. a transaction. How can I make this a benefit for both of us and then keep improving that over time? Mm-hmm. Because, and, and this is something that I think I learned from Seth Godin very early on, and I think I thought this way, but he put it into words that made sense, is you create what he calls sneezers. And these aren't people who have a cold and they I'm sneeze still, all over I'm you. not supportive of this term. It's fine. <laughs> but it's, it's the, I'm not even a germaphobe and that term yeah, grosses it's just me out. The idea that you create these brand advocates, right. these super supportive fans. super fans, like all these people, these customers that rave about you and they sneeze sneeze it out into the world, whether it's to their direct audience or just indirectly to other people. And that has incredible value Mm -hmm. because we all know that when we purchase something, so much of that purchase is coming from, do we know someone that we trust that's telling us to buy this thing? Right. Uh, Or can we really relate to the people we see that are buying it and that makes us feel comfortable and it makes sense. So I think another thing that has like maybe subconsciously, one of the reasons why we've taken this position in business is because we don't do a lot of paid advertising. And so we have this very organic approach to trying to grow our audience and trying to grow our customer base. And so when you're not focused on the the math of trying to pay X amount of dollars to acquire a customer for X amount of dollars, and you're always trying to just calibrate that math and try to just spend more to get more, you have to take care of your customers because that's your only mechanism of growth. Yeah. So I think that we just over time, it it was second nature to us to pour back into our customers in the hopes that they would then be our paid advertising, if that makes sense. I think sense. it was first nature. I don't even think it was second nature. I think the <laughs> objective was we want to pour. I mean, at- I think the, the purpose of the term second nature is that it's first nature. <laughs> so why isn't it first nature? Oh man, we're going we to Google, Google that. We got to Google that for you. Oh, that's uh. a good one. Um, 
Yeah. So I, I, I guess I'll turn the question back on you is you said that you kind of learned this from me, but how did you think about customers when you started working for yourself? Because you started in client focused right. stuff, which I kind of started in as well. Um, what did that? Yeah. Result? I mean, I guess you're right that it was always sort of my position as well, because when I think back to starting Made Vibrant as a design studio, my first customers were design clients. And I mean, talk about going above and beyond. Right. But I think that some of that stemmed from my own insecurity. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I think that, yes, I cared about my customers. So it definitely came from a place of wanting to deliver exactly what I told them I would deliver, wanting to help them, wanting to provide a service for them. But I think also I had a little bit at that time, we, we just recorded a confidence episode a couple weeks ago. So um, this plays into that a little bit, but I just think my confidence was so low that I just would do, I would throw everything at them. The kitchen, I would go way above and beyond Mm -hmm. as a, as a way to protect myself against them being disappointed, which I don't think that's the same as going above and beyond because you want to deliver immense value. So it is a little bit, you have to know like what that intention is behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, As I got more confident, as I worked with more people, I, that care that I was you know, applying to the work that I was doing wasn't coming from a place of insecurity. It was just coming more from a place of intention and wanting to help people. And that was another thing that I wanted to bring up is when it comes to taking care of your customers, you and I just recognize that it feels good to help people. Like I, I can't imagine these types of businesses that are just like churn and burn, like try to just get as many people in the door knowing that they're going to like take their money and run kind of thing. Because there's no better feeling in the world to me than knowing that something, a product of yours or information that you and I have put together or something, a resource we created in Wayne actually helps somebody change their lives. Like that is my actual favorite thing in the world. And so that's why you and I sit on Slack and you more than I do, but I'm trying to get better at it. Um, that's why we DM back and forth with people and help them one-on-one. And it's why I spend three hours putting together a roadmap to fit somebody's exact business because I want them to see results. I want them to... I don't want to just take their money and just hope that they pay us forever. I want them to actually get something out of it. Yeah. So I think it'll be fun to go a couple of different directions this, but one I want to go is how do you deal with bad customers? Mm -hmm. And I think this can stem from a couple of different directions because I have multiple different businesses that operate in different ways, but uh, maybe I'll just start with you and in any stories or things you can think about where you've had a bad customer or you've had a customer that's been prickly, if you will. I haven't honestly had that um, many encounters with bad customers and maybe, so maybe you're better adept at talking about this, but are you, I think it's worth also having the conversation about customer service and how it feels when somebody has a complaint or, so that Mm -hmm. is something I have dealt with is people saying like people, I remember early on my very first product was the lettering course. It's a $20 course. Mm -hmm. It was my very first digital product. And I put so much information into that $20 course. It's like, less than the cost of a meal, a dinner. And I would get, I got probably of the thousands of people that took that course, I got maybe three people who, who wrote back and were like, this wasn't even worth the money, yeah. like blah, blah, blah. And those are just angry people, right? Yeah. Like I just remember, but it still hurt because I was very early in my business, but I remember getting that one email saying, this wasn't worth the money. And I was like, this literally the <laughs> first three minutes are worth the money, are yeah. worth $20. But 
I had to learn over time that, and I think this is how it plays into your bad customer thing, is like that person is never going to be satisfied. Right. So I'm not going to bend over backwards to keep them in my customer base if I know that they're going to be a thorn in my side Mm -hmm. because they're just going to drain resources away from the really good customers. So in those situations, I'm not trying to convince somebody to, to, you know, stay with me or I'm never trying to, if people are ready to walk away, I don't want to convince them. Instead, I say, Thank you very much for your feedback. Here's your money back. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the example that I was hoping you would bring up from uh, the Better Lettering course because I remember when that course started to take off and you were selling a couple hundred of those a month and now you've sold almost 9,000 units of that course, if you will, which is insane to think about. Like it's so many people taking that course and to only have a small handful of people, I think it leads to a couple things. Number one, I think it's the direct value exchange of someone pays $20, they get in, they feel like it's worth more than they paid. Mm -hmm. Immediately they're satisfied. Mm -hmm. Like that is one takeaway for anybody listening to this who's building anything, selling anything is make the thing more valuable than the price you sell it for. This is also a great tip for anybody who feels like they have low confidence. They're selling their first digital product. I told Jason, I was like, I understand that the math of this doesn't actually really work that well that I would have to sell so many units to make this like a feasible income stream. However, it was more important to me that I built the confidence and showed myself that I had the ability to sell something and that I had the ability to figure out how digital products worked. So for me, by by when my confidence was low, by pricing it at $20, knowing that it's easily a $100 course, that well, was how I was able had, to do it. We had an interesting juxtaposition at the time because I was selling a $500 course. Yeah. So it was really kind of, for me, I remember going like, oh, you're so underselling this. Like yeah. I've seen all you're putting into this. Like, And it's... the whole mentality of like, for, because I remember at the time a lot, we were, we were consuming a lot of resources around how to sell digital products. Yeah. And the light bulb for people, of course, is like the higher you price your product, less the less customers, customers that yeah. you have to get. And that made a lot of sense to me. But again, I knew that it was more important I knew that if I was going to have to make a course and sell it for $500 confidently, I was not going to be able to do that. Well, and I think you also brought up a really good point during this, which is, I think, what led me to be like, okay, I'm totally on board, is that this is a hobbyist course. Exactly. So My it was sponsorships all- course is like, if you go through this, I, I can guarantee it. If you go through it and you do the things that I say and you sell a sponsorship of $200 to $2,000, you will get your money back. Yep. Guar- guaranteed. There is no way that it won't happen. Yep. But for a hobbyist course, for learning a skill, it can't guarantee you anything other than you're going to enjoy it. You're going to learn a new skill. And for 20 bucks, that seems like a, a reasonable price. And this is a little bit where we get into, like I'm sure we could do an entire episode on pricing. But so yes, it worked for my like confidence and where I was in that journey. But it's also where I was learning a little bit of business savvy because I was saying to myself, huh, put myself in the shoes of my customers. Right. I, this is a course to teach you how to do hand lettering better. It's not teaching you how to add hand lettering as a graphic designer so you can get paid more. It's not to turn this into a career. It's literally just, you want to draw pretty letters as a hobby, as Jason said. And so when you narrow in on your target market, you have to ask yourself, how much would this person be willing to pay? And I knew that if it wasn't going to have a return on investment in terms of money coming back into their, their, um, business or something like that you're going to be hard. It's going to be hard to sell it for, you know, over $50 Yeah. because I wouldn't pay that for like a hobby. And I think one of the things that we saw with the better lettering course early on was it, 
became successful because it was low priced, because it exceeded the value, and because people got so much from it that then they were willing to be a sneezer, going back to the Seth oh, yeah. thing, right? Like they were willing to tell a friend. People still do. Absolutely. And they would go, hey, go take this course. It's awesome. Uh, you know, the teacher's really fun and it's 20 bucks. Yeah. Like it's so easy I to I still get to tagged people. in Instagram posts of people being like, I first like, and I see these now like professional letters, which is amazing. They have their own huge Instagram followings. They have their own huge careers. And it's because it started with that one $20 course, which is like going back to the whole idea of customers. There's nothing that makes me happier. And there's no part of me that's like, I wish I would have charged that person $200. It's like, no, like when your intent is pure and you just want to help people, then. I think staying on this before I go to some of my bad customer stories or examples is I think an opportunity that we've never taken advantage of, but with intention is that you could have made another hand lettering course for all these students. Well, I did the iPad lettering course. I know, but I mean like when it was going really popular. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when it was selling hundreds of courses a month and we talked about this at the time, but it was just something that you just didn't want to do. That's the thing you guys. Okay. This is also really important because remember we did do that. We were like, and, and we tell people to do this all the time to regularly kind of do an audit of their revenue streams and go, what is an opportunity that I can milk this revenue stream more. And definitely that better lettering course was one of those. Almond milk, right? Almond milk. Almond milk. What can we almond milk more? You just grab the almonds. If you're not on YouTube, I'm just, I got my fingers together and you just squeeze and pull down on the almond and that's how you milk them. That's a visual. Hello, 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 (laughs) hello, hello. You get about eight squeezes another, per almond. Another bonus of this podcast is you learn how to milk almonds. <laughs> Dear people, that you don't—that's not how that no, works. That's a no. joke. Um, but so thanks th- for clearing that up. I was just like, if somebody watches that and they're like, "That's how that works." Oh, I'm a very gullible person, so that would be me. I'd be like, "I'm gonna go buy almonds." Um, so we did an audit. This was a couple years ago, and we thought this is such a, an untapped opportunity. And so, do you remember what we did? We took a lot of the blog posts that were performing well on Made Vibrant. We we rolled it out into its own site, handletteringforbeginners.com. And we thought, we'll we'll do a content marketing strategy. We'll take a lot of great content teaching people how to do hand lettering. We'll put it on this blog, on this other site, and then we'll sell the course and and yada, yada. So we did that. And I I started an Instagram account and I had all this this whole content plan. And like literally it took about a month into it where I just went, I don't want to do this. Right. Well, and what I think where I think we missed the opportunity that that was never taken was, and you could still do it now, but it just, I just don't think it would work as it would have when things were going really well is to make a second hand lettering course that was like hand lettering for mediumers, you know, they're like, you know, but it, it was like one step forward. I know, but I, even that I didn't want to do. No, I know. I know. I a hundred percent know. And I, it's totally okay that you didn't do it. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that I think if someone's out there and they really do like what they're doing and they do see that it's getting some right. traction is to take advantage is a, is a ugh phrase, but it's the easiest take thing. Take the to opportunity. Say. Take the opportunity that you have where things are selling, where customers do, because here's the thing. Customers are never going to email you and go, can I pay you $20 for more information? Right. It is not going to happen. You, you have to give them the opportunity. However, they are showing you by saying, I'm buying, I'm telling people they're buying. That is them saying, I like this yeah. and I could potentially want more of it if you position it the right way for me and, yep. and tell me how it's going to help me. And, and so I think that was the opportunity where 
selfishly, I just I wish that we would have had a second course to know if these 9,000 customers would have bought a second course because I think that's the thing that, that I've really learned over time in business is not to always try and get more customers, but is to try to give your existing customers you have more value and another chance to pay you because they already trust you. Totally. And it's much easier to convince someone who's already paid you money to pay you again than it is to get someone new to pay you. Absolutely. So we have this really great exercise in, I, I believe it's only available to Wandering Gameplay members, the future finding series. Yes. Yes. Okay. So this is only available to members, but you can still take the wisdom from the exercise itself, which is in our future finding video series. And we have three different tracks for a different, wherever you are at your journey. Um, and you want to break through the next level. So the last piece of the journey is what we call from scale to optimization. So you've already kind of scaled into digital products and things like that, but you have a lot of different things and you're trying to pull them all together. So they're working well together. And this, exercise that we came up with is called we I think we named it like the product customer roadmap yeah and the point of the exercise is to identify like one I think we call it like your your gold yeah I think it's your your gold star product or something yeah, like that something it's like, like your your one product that you're trying to drive all of your customers to and then you map out these lower price products along the way that can kind of get them there so this is exactly what Jason's talking about which is you kind of you introduce a lower price product so that they can understand how you teach um, they, they can start to build trust with you, the value you provide. And then you identify these maybe more advanced courses for a little bit more money, all leading up to the, whatever your gold standard product is. Right. And that's something that we had been doing for years, but we didn't, had never sat down and taken the time to come up with an exercise around it. But I think that's another thing going back to customers that you were talking about, which is like, it's, it's so much easier to provide more value to existing your existing customer base. And that, again, feeds into this idea that you and I believe in, which is don't always go chasing new ideas mm -hmm. and new things and new customers. And waterfalls. And waterfalls. Don't go chasing waterfalls, y'all. Just don't. Instead, take a look at your existing customer base who already loves you and say, how can I better serve them? What's What is missing for them? And that's something we continue to do even within Wandering Inflate. Oh, it's yeah. like, what resources do we need to provide in order to better serve those customers? So the, the question is that was unanswered in that yes. section was, why did you not want to create a second course to seize the opportunity that you had? Because in the grand scheme of levers, it means more to me that I believe in what I'm doing than it does to take advantage of an opportunity to make money. So just quite simply, I didn't... Also, this is another thing. I'm always thinking of where do I want to steer my ship? And so I knew that if I was going to make another lettering course, I was going to steer my ship, the ship of Made Vibrant, into, okay, now I'm positioning myself as like a hand letterer, a hand lettering expert. I'm going to have to spend a lot more of my time doing hand lettering tutorials. And, and I just, hand lettering is a part of my work, but it's not the thing that I most enjoy. It's sort of, I, I didn't want to be teaching people hand lettering forever. And so I do think you have to be a bit cognizant of who are the customers that you're steering your ship towards? Mm -hmm. And I also, there was this thing happening in the hand lettering community where it was all about like technique and being perfect. And, and I could have used that opportunity to like do it differently. Right. And just make it, made it not, but I didn't want to compete in that world. I just didn't. And so to me, it, was more important that I enjoyed what I was doing and that I was steering my ship in a direction that I wanted to be in the future rather than take advantage of a moment in time to make money. Yeah, and I think that's a really powerful thing that a lot of people get, myself included, and other people get caught up in seeing an opportunity and taking it and then realizing after the fact, like, eh, that didn't really feel good. You know, I kind of, and that was, for me, that was easy course. It was yeah. a course that I created yep. with our friend Omar and it's a great course. People love the course. That There's nothing wrong with that. 
it's just, I felt like I was seizing an opportunity of like courses about making courses. However, it was exactly like you just said, like in the hand lettering world, it was like, you know, your perfect nibs and your calligraphy and like all this do, 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 do. And you're like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm just a girl with some crayons and like, let's just hand letter some stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a girl I'm from a the girl. Bronx and I'm just I'm hand lettering stuff. I'm just a girl nice. with some crayons. All right. There go all the viewers. <laughs> uh, but for me, that's what we did with easy course was like, everyone's teaching all this like highfalutin, like you're going to make thousands of dollars. Like, Hey, how how about you just make the damn thing? Yeah. And here's the 30 days to make it. So anyway, I felt after I made that course of like, eh, I kind of didn't like making that course. So I totally respect and understand why you didn't end up doing it. And also I remember having the conversations about not wanting to trap yourself into this world where you were just a hand lettering person, because that's the exact conversation that we had on a walk a couple of years ago. Like, I don't want to just become a course guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want people to think of me of like, he's just a guy that creates online courses. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just for my personal where you wanted to steer the ship, self esteem. I don't want that. Yeah. So what I was going to say there is to tie it back into customers. Something that has always resonated with me is I remember maybe it was on product to profit when you did it with Paul Jarvis, but something and Nathan Barry and Nathan, yeah, but shout out all what I, I was going to say, what Paul said really hit home for me where he talks about the example of when he made his vegan cookbook. Mm-hmm. And so when he talks about coming up with a product idea, he's always one question that he's always like, Hey, ask yourself, this is, do I want to serve these customers? Right. And so his example of the vegan cookbook is like, vegans are hardcore and they have a lot, they draw a lot of lines in the sand of like what you can do, what you can't do, whatever. They have a lot of opinions, um, as he says from his experience. But so he learned through doing that, that that was not the group of customers that he wanted to go after. And therefore that was not the products that he wanted to create. And so I think in both of our scenarios, that's a little bit tied into that as well, which is. I didn't want my whole customer base to become people interested in only hand lettering. Mm -hmm. And you didn't want your whole customer base to be just people who are interested in building online courses. And so when you're coming up with product ideas, I think it's important to ask yourself who that end customer is going to be. And if you want to create an entire business where you're serving those people. Yeah. And for me, just to continue down this road, again, I do want to get back to more examples of bad customers and how to deal with them, but um, is the Get Sponsorships course. So that was my first course and it went through its whole gamut in the beginning and I, I really enjoyed it and it got some good customers in the beginning and then I just kind of let it sleep because I was working on other things go to sleep go to sleep first. <laughs> go to sleep and then my buddy Matt Giovanisi was like itching to do something and so I was like well we could redo this because he really loved the course he was like the course was so helpful for me like the scripts were really good the email scripts and how you actually pitch sponsorships and I was like, oh, great. Well, if there were more Matt Giovannisi's that were buying this product, I would happily support it. But here's the thing. We revamped it. We built a whole website for it. We built all this content. And it was selling, but it was the wrong customers. And everyone who bought it, they just weren't willing to do the work. Yeah. Every single person that bought it was like, oh, I went through like one lesson and I just, can you just tell me what to do? It's like, no, you have to go through all 12 lessons. You have to do the things. You have to do the exercise. You have to send the emails. And then you have to go, did any of this work? Oh, it didn't. Let me try new things. And people just weren't willing to do that. And so for me, that was actually why we shut that course down and didn't sell it because even though it was selling, it was not the audience we wanted to serve. So that brings me to a question that I'm going to pose, but I do want to hear your bad customer story because we've been trying to get to it. How do you then attract good customers? So let's, I want to hear a couple of your bad customer stories, but then I really want to get to how do you think, what are some things people can do to attract the right customers? Okay. Keyword on that. The right the right customers, but also my keyword back to your keyword. Is, this is how we remember conversations. Yeah, this is, is a fun. Uh, 
managing expectations. Okay. We're okay. really bad at interrupting each other. So we implemented this many years ago in our relationship, yeah. which is whoever wants to speak, the other person gets a keyword so that they don't lose their point. Sometimes we'll be on a walk with Plaxico. This is just real truth and honesty. And hopefully Caroline doesn't get mad at me for telling this, but I'm going to tell it because this is a safe space and we're here together. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. What am I going to say? You're going to say that you start talking uh-huh. and then I go. Like I'm like nine words into a sentence. And I go from complete silence to, you know what I've just been thinking about? <laughs> it is the worst. I'm literally in the middle of talking, Caroline. I know, but guess what? I'm not listening. <laughs> I'm thinking of, of, I'm listening to my voices in my head and they have They're something loud. they want to say. Are loud. They are loud. They're loud. Yeah. You know that. Oh my gosh, that's great. Okay. Bad uh, customers. Bad customers. So one of the thing, the examples I want to talk about is uh, specifically having a software product or a subscription product of any kind and being okay with the fact that you can let customers go who are difficult to deal with. And and actually trying to get them to leave and quit paying you and quit is, is an advantage. So a specific example, and I, there are a couple with Teachery that come to mind immediately, but one just happened the other day. So Teachery is an online course platform that I co-own. I've been using it or been building it since 2013 with my buddy Gerlando, and now uh, our friend Zach joined in. And it is very much a side project. It makes anywhere between five and $8,000 a month. So for an average of that, $6,500 a month. Um, but it does fluctuate throughout the year. Like we get people, we lose people, we get people, we lose people. It's the natural cycle of especially a software product. But uh, I got... so. When I, I've seen this now for years. When I get, uh, we get a new customer and I take care of all the customer support emails because I like talking with our customers. And when I get someone who asks a lot of questions that we have help documentation to that's very clear and thoughtful and step-by-step, but I'll send it to them and they still won't do it. I can literally foresee in my mind 30 to 60 days, this person will cancel. And I will also get an angry email from Mm -hmm. them when they cancel. And it's only happened probably in the course of the past five years, 10 to 15 times. Mm -hmm. So it's not a lot in the grand scheme of things. But you know that person. But I know. And so this just happened. Mm -hmm. I'm going to name shame them. Ready? No. No. I'm kidding. (laughs) I panicked. I'm so excited. (laughs) Please. I hope that the way that you edit this together is the close up on my face going, no. Um, I got, I got excited there. I, I know you know. Um, so this person emailed in. Mm-hmm. She had been emailing questions. And it's one of those people where you just can't make them happy. Mm-hmm. No matter what you say, no matter what you offer no up. No matter how much time that you devote to their questions. And, and it's one of those things where you also have to realize the product that you've built is built a certain way for a certain customer. This kind of goes to what you want to talk about next. And I'm not going to change my entire product or my entire offering to make one customer happy. Right. I'm also not going to do it for five customers or 10 customers. I'm going to change it for the majority, but not for the minority. Mm-hmm. And this this woman who recently did, she wrote this long email when she canceled because we sent an email out. So this is a, a pro tip for you. If you have any type of subscription product, set up some type of automation so that when someone cancels, you fire an immediate email to them that goes, thanks so much for giving us your business. We really appreciate the opportunity. Can you just let us know why you canceled? We'd love to learn more. Um, I learned this from Jason Freed from Basecamp is that basically what he says is you learn the most about your customers when they first sign up and when they cancel your product. And so for me, you know, I don't really necessarily care about the the sign up part because it's just kind of hard. It can be very nebulous we, and we've tried it. That's why I don't necessarily care. But the cancellation is super helpful. Mm-hmm. So send this email out. The lady gets this email and she writes back this super long thing. I'm not going to go into all the details, but essentially it's like, it's all of this stuff 
that there's no way I could do any better than what we do. Mm-hmm. And it used to bother me. Like in the very beginning, these emails used to bother me. But now I just go, this lady's not a right fit for us. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's actually a ticking time bomb for another online course platform she's going to go to. Like she's going to blow like, up. Go on, to Teachable. Yeah, go, go over to like uh, Thinkific, you know, like have fun <laughs> over there. Uh, and, it, and it does happen. And it, it's really interesting how that can change when you really think about this is the product I'm proud of. This is the thing that I've built. And it wasn't right for this customer. And that's okay. And that's okay. And not letting it that A, hurt your feelings or B, try to uh, like make you lose confidence in the thing that you've built because yep. it's an outlier. Yeah. And and we've had, so we've had a, another example from Teachery specifically is we've had people who they don't even cancel. They just complain constantly. Mm-hmm. And so I'll actually pitch them to cancel <laughs> and I will email them. Like when I, when it gets to a certain point where like, we're just not making them happy. And a lot of times it kind of sucks because they are making money with their courses. So we feel like we've done a good job of setting them up for success is I'll just say, I don't think we're the right platform for you. And here's the thing. I would love to help you with XX and X things that you have emailed us about, but that's just not on our product roadmap and we're not going to get to it. And I have looked and guess what? A Thinkific or a Teachable or whatever. They have those features. So yep. I think you'd be happier over there yep. if you want to go ahead and leave. Yeah. Okay. So let's come back to my keyword then. You talked about bad customers. How do you think people can, or what are ways do you think people can attract the right customers, the customers they're looking for? Right. Uh, keyword right. And then me saying right, because I'm thinking and my brain's trying to catch up. So I say other words to fill the space and then my brain computes. And I have an answer things. if you want me to start. <laughs> I have an answer, oh, okay. but go ahead. No, you go ahead. So one of the things, and this is where I said my keyword was managing expectations, is on the sales page of whatever it is that you sell, in the emails of whatever it is that you sell, in the phone calls, like whatever it is, you need to be very clear about the outcomes the person buying is going to receive. So let's take your better lettering course, for example. This is not gonna help you increase your lettering so that you can make more money as a designer. You're not gonna put that on the sales page because that's gonna make the expectation that that's gonna happen for them. Right. They're gonna get in there and be like, this is a hobbyist course. I'm not right. gonna, now I'm mad. Right. Instead you go, this is a hobbyist course. You're gonna learn this. It's gonna be a skill you can pick You're up. You're gonna it's, unlock your creativity. Yeah. You're gonna. It's fun. It's, it can bring some nostalgia to you. And then the person goes in and they go, oh, that's exactly what I thought it was going to be. And maybe a little bit more. And I feel really good about that. And so I think one of the things that uh, people will get into is they don't feel confident, especially in the beginning and the thing that they're selling. So they will oversell what it can actually do. Mm -hmm. And this leads to customers being unhappy because their expectations are here. And my hand is above my head, for those of you not watching. And then the outcome of what they actually get into the thing is like, which is like down by my belly button. So just so you know, like belly button not a good place uh good place not a good place i don't know my metaphor got lost i'm moving on the important part there is also to remember to not be short-sighted because the example that you just gave people are so concerned of getting the sale Mm -hmm. that they shoot themselves in the foot because they weren't thinking about oh what happens when i get the sale and then somebody's really disappointed and then they want to cancel and then i have to deal with that and then i have to give them money back and all this stuff so you really have to think about your customer setting the right expectation and then keeping them happy on the back end as well and not just think about the sale and then it's like, oh, you're dead to me. I'm, I'm going to go get the next person who's going to buy. Um, another thing I was going to say is this is another place where I find that brand values are very important because, for example, when you talked about um, with the sponsorship course mm-hmm. and how people weren't willing to put in the work and this is something that you and I talk about a lot just in our overall brand messaging, which is like, 
we're not going to sell, sell you the dream. We're not, you're going to have to do work here. You know, we can't do it for you. If you want a life, you're going to have to put in work. And so by making that a part of the overall brand messaging, you're also repelling the people who just want to go to the internet marketers of the world and get the promises of six figures that they will never reach. And that's fine. Let's send them over there. We want the people who they don't want to reach for the six figures and have the easy promise or the silver bullet. They just want the promise of teaching them real ways that they can make more income and intentional income. And one easy way to do this, sorry to cut you off, no, is on a sales page or in an email, just write bullets. And the bullets are these two sections. This is right for you if, if. bullet, bullet, bullet. This is not right for you if. if, bullet, bullet, bullet. It is the easiest way to separate out and, and detract the people who aren't gonna do the things that it's not right for and then attract the people who are gonna be like, oh yeah, I can do those first bullets, that's me. Totally. What were you gonna say? I cut you off. That was it. Oh, okay. So uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about when it comes to customers is kind of in the same lane of where we just were, is thinking about the customer's journey after the purchase. Yes. And I think this is something that so many of us creators neglect because it's it's hard to create the thing. Mm -hmm. It's hard to sell the thing. Yep. You get exhausted and you run out of bandwidth, but if you can plan ahead of time to think about the journey after the purchase, you can set yourself up for that success of the sneezer, if you will, mm -hmm. of the person who's very happy, who will give you a testimonial or a case study or just rave about the thing you're creating. Yep. So one of the things that I think is really an easy way to do this is to just create a four email automation and to build that automation in so that when someone buys whatever it is you sell, you send them four emails one week apart and it highlights a piece of that thing. It asks for feedback about how they're liking it. Uh, it tells them to go check out a certain part that may, they may have forgotten or not seen yet. Um, and then somewhere in there is, uh, and we love doing this, is to have a survey mm -hmm. so that you can ask them questions, qualitative questions or quantitative questions about what their experience was like mm -hmm. so that you can learn where is this falling short? Mm -hmm. You know, what's what's working well, what's not working and how can I improve this product? And not just about the product, but about themselves you know, get more data on who they are so right. that you can then match that up and say, okay, people who were this were really happy with the product. People who were this were not very happy with the product. That's going to help you further kind of qualify customers in the future. Um, that also reminded me that we do have a resource, the customer journey um, marketing plan. Let's love this name. And we have to get better at naming these worksheets, but I really like it because it's exactly what you just mentioned. And so when we were building Wandering Aimfully, this sort of framework came to me, which is basically identifying all the different steps of the customer journey from just hearing about you to all the way being basically a sneezer, a brand advocate. Yep. And we have about six steps in between there when someone goes from awareness to considering your purchase to then buying your product, then they're right after, how do you retain them? Then how do you get them to be a brand advocate? And so by kind of sectioning off all those steps, you then can come up with marketing tactics at every step of the journey. And so you'll notice on that worksheet is that the first three steps are where everybody focuses their attention. Mm -hmm. How do I get somebody to hear about me? And then how do I get them to buy? But what people forget is everything after they become a customer. How do I get them to use my product more? Because if somebody doesn't use your product, A, if it's a membership product, they're gonna cancel. And then B, they're never gonna be able to tell somebody how great you are if they don't actually use your product. Yeah. So you really need to devote time and, and thought and resources to getting somebody to actually get in there and take your course or use your product or things like that. Yeah, Leave a review. 
especially for selling knowledge, it's it's one of those things where I'm just a firm believer in whenever you sell something, it should have an audio, a video, and a written component because everyone learns differently. Mm -hmm. So if you do all three of those, and typically you can do the video component, which you just pull the audio out, so mm -hmm. that knocks that out. And then if you just do a transcript of the video, you've now done all three. And essentially what you'll have is when you sell that, you'll get people who, and if you put this in a survey, you're going to get this data right back is, what did you find most helpful in the courses? Was it the video? Was it the audio? Was it the written part? And you can find out what type of people are buying. And if you find that almost all of your buyers are written content people, then maybe you don't need to spend all the time doing the video stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and it just becomes something you can learn about how people are are, are learning or, or kind of diving into your product, as you said, uh, opening the box, if you will. Uh, one thing that we are going to try that I just actually learned from my good friend Greg is another layer on top of that is not just how people learn, but who people are and in what way they learn best. Yep. And that's not in like a video audio thing. It's it's more of there are these different personalities. So we're actually going to look into what's called the Colby test, K-O-L-B-E. I don't even know much about it yet. This is literally something I just heard of, but I thought it would be fun to share because sometimes in these conversations, it's really easy to listen to people who've like, here's all the things I've done right, but I like to also talk about the things we haven't done yet. Well, that's the wandering gameplay part, right? Absolutely. It's like we're always trying stuff and learning new stuff. So, so I want to I want to look at the, into this test. And the reason why Greg recommended this is because he was like, every business I've worked on, every customer base I've ever had, it's about knowing who the people are so that you can best present things to them. And it can be the exact same thing you're presenting, but you have to position it in a way that matches their personality. Not just how they learn, but who they are as a person. Mm -hmm. Because, and one of the personality types within there is a quick starter, I believe is what it's called. And that person is incredibly bogged down if you give them too many tasks at once. Mm -hmm. They need one thing they can dive into, but anything more than one, they're gonna be paralyzed. And guess what they're not gonna do? Anything. Open the box. Yeah. They're not going to do anything because it's like, I have 12 lessons. I can't look at 12 lessons. Yeah. It's too much. On the on the other side, I'm sure there's a type of personality who, they're the type of person who wants to see it all from 20,000 feet. Absolutely. They want to see exactly what the roadmap is so that they can then dive in, which I feel like is more like me probably. But So f what I want to do with that information and what I want to set up for us when we have the time, and I'm hoping we can kind of do this towards the end of the year, is to figure out how we get this personality test fit into our onboarding cycle. Mm -hmm. And then once that happens, basically take one, one path of knowledge through our resources. And it's where we know that like the first module, better branding course, the seventh lesson of the sponsorships course, the future finding thing, this worksheet, the customer journey wrote, like all this stuff, but then create it within the couple of different personality types and present it in a way that feels like that person can do it. And, right. and then test that. And, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work totally. to take information and repurpose it five different ways. I think there's five different personality types within this test. And maybe we won't do all five. Maybe we'll just do three or whatever. But to test this and see if this actually becomes the way that people learn stuff and don't just buy things and never look at them. Right. Because that's what we don't want. We don't actually enjoy that just getting someone's money and not making an impact. For totally. Them. I think that's a great idea. And I love that. And I love the customization and the personalization. I think when we talk about customers, and we've talked about this for probably a year and a half now since we moved to some of the automation stuff we've done, but the next kind of frontier of selling and then also making your customers happy is just personalization Oh yeah, we've and got customization a and knowing who they are and not just saying this is a one size fits all kind of roadmap. Um, but it does like, as you said, take a lot of work. Um, but I think the payoff is pretty, we have pretty a high. whole undertaking just for our website in general using a product called right message that I so strongly believe because it 
speaks to who a customer actually is and something about them that you can essentially get data from them and then repurpose the content they read on a website. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot to do. It's a big undertaking. Now, have you figured out how to clone us yet? I have not figured because that I'm out. Because I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, there's so much I want to do. Yeah. But I would love to not get shingles again also. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I think that'd be a good idea. The doorbell just rang <laughs> and I'm going to uh, edit out the doorbell part. But if you can hear Plaxico... He's very upset about it. It's okay, bud. It's okay. You got him. Do a little bit more. <laughs> I don't know because the mics are kind of far away, but he's making this like grumble noise. Every time that we tell him not to bark, since that's its primary means of communication, he devolves into this closed mouthed grumble where yeah. he's like, He does a good job. He I'm doesn't not bark. barking, yeah. but I also need to communicate how very unhappy I am about this. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to kind of put a, a pin in like the thinking about the customer journey and moving forward in that is to plan for surprise and delight. Yes. This is such an important and overlooked thing that so many people don't do when they sell stuff. Yep. So the way that we plan for surprise and delight specifically with Wandering Aimfully is we send a physical package in the mail to our new buyers. Yep. And this is built into one of the emails they get when they first start is we collect some data from them. Um, and then we kind of put together this fun little package. And this evolved from the Buy Our Future project mm -hmm. a couple of years ago and Buy My Future. And it's just a really fun way for someone to get something they don't expect, they don't know what's in it. And it's actually a physical tangible thing. Now, I will say that you do not have to go that far if you're right. listening to this. But what is something you can give someone where they go, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. It could just be an extra lesson of your course. Yeah. It could just be a digital guide that you created that maybe is just closely related to the product you sell, but you don't sell it anymore and you just want to reuse it in some way. Um, but how can you create some surprise and delight where someone buys they, they get an email, they get anything, and you go, hey, you didn't see this coming, but I also hey. have this for you. Hey, what's up, girl? Uh, here's this thing for you. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, but I think that that's something that is so overlooked for people. And I also think that if people are thinking about it, they overthink it. And you can make it simple. Yeah, definitely. And this goes back to a little bit to the managing expectations part of the conversation. And we didn't use this term, but it's something that we talk about all the time, which is under-promise and over-deliver. Yes. That is your the most simple tactic in order to make your customers happy. Under-promise, over-deliver. Um, and that plays into the managing expectations part. And it also plays into the surprise and delight. That's true. Uh, the one thing that uh, I think would be fun to kind of wrap this up on before we talk about things that we're going to Google for you, because everyone loves that part, is just how thankful we are for our customers. Absolutely. Of any type, of any kind, coming from any direction in any of our products. And specifically, our Wandering Aimfully members are, are like our people. They're, yeah. they're our, like, we love you guys so much and we love hanging out with you. But any customer who's ever bought anything from us is someone who has raised their hand and said, I trust you, I believe in you, here is my hard-earned money for something that you've created. And that, that means the world to us. Yeah. And I think if you're listening to this and you're, maybe feeling like you haven't sold enough of what you're doing or you don't sell consistently whatever you're doing, take a moment to be grateful that you've sold anything. At all. One sale, two sales, you know, five or 10. And and so often we get caught up and we're the same way of how can we like get a process or a system that makes this fluid and easy and simple. And I just, for the majority of us, I don't yeah. think that's possible. No, sometimes it's just about taking time out to intentionally go back to those customers and saying, hey, can I reach out to that person today? Or can I even implement surprise and delight now? Maybe you didn't do it when you sold the product, but maybe right. now a year later, you can just re send an email to somebody and say, hey, thanks so much. I just wanted to let you know. And those things go a long way. And I think because we've done that over the years, over and over again, even sometimes not in any sort of automated or a process type of way, but just literally hand-to-hand -hand combat, like one-on-one-on-one-on-one-on-one, yeah. -on -one -on -one -on -one, 
we're seeing the dividends of that. And we're seeing people that have a loyalty to us that I haven't seen a lot of other places online. So maybe not hand to hand combat, maybe hand to hand love, hand to hand hugs, hand to hand hugs, hugs to hugs. You remember one hugs, to one hugs, the little drink that was just like a little plastic barrel. barrel with that, they were called top. hugs. Yeah, they were called hugs. <gasps> and maybe they were called something else in other places, but they were definitely hugs when I bought My them. My grandma gave those to us. All we they went to were her house. was just a nice sugar, eight ounces water of sugar water with some dye. With a little bit of dye. Yeah. So if, if we grow, if I grow like a third arm, you know, out of the back of my that's neck. That's where it came from. Hugs. hugs. hugs came I can't believe they were called hugs. I had no idea. Well, maybe that's what about, a regional. Do you remember Squeeze-Its and you would put the little, um, when I was in elementary school, which means you were probably like, you know, at your first job or whatever, <laughs> we would take. He's talking about me specifically. Yeah, just yeah, so everyone yeah. Knows. yeah. We would take the top off the Squeeze-It and we would put it into our mouths, like pretend that we had braces. Cause that was a thing you did before you were old enough to have braces is you wanted to pretend like you were older and braces were that. And then I remember we would always read on the bottle. It's like, do not place this like in your mouth. It's a choking hazard. And we would all be like, <laughs> yeah. look at us. Gross. Gross. Uh, all right. We're going to get into, we Googled that for you, which is a segment where one of us Googles something that uh, the other probably does not know the answer to, one or in some cases, uh, it's been some things that maybe we've been talking about as a couple, and now this gets to become our safe space to actually get out. prove the other person right or wrong. Or wrong. You and guys know how that goes. That's an essential part of a relationship is somebody has to be right. Right. Uh, so this is Wagugdafi, and this week, I Googled something for you. What'd you Google? And I want you to know my source before I even get into this thing so that you don't go, that University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences oh, is where dear. I got my answer from. Okay. So legit. The other day. We think <clears throat> University of Arkansas Medical School is a role legit. <laughs> the other day. I'm just kidding. Any uh, of you who live in Arkansas, I'm just kidding. We were standing outside yeah. and you had two little gray hairs sprouting. Two tiny gray hairs. Yes. And I said, let me get those for you. You wanted to pluck them out of to, my I head. Wanted to, I just, you wanted to inflict pain on your wife, your loving wife. I just wanted wife. to get them for you because you, maybe you didn't see them. Okay. I don't know. What did you say when I... I said, I think that makes it worse. How, how do you think, think it makes it worse? I think that makes more grow back. You think it makes more grow... Like it, it, specifically, do you think it makes more gray hairs pop up around it? Or... What's my other option? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm just asking like when you say no, no, no. more grow back. I just think... I just think... Like, does it promote the growth of gray hair on your head when you pluck out the gray hairs is what I'm asking I you. think so, yeah. Okay. Does, I'm only saying that because I know that you want to prove me wrong. <sighs> does pulling one gray hair cause more to grow in its place? Let me guess. The answer is no. Plucking a gray hair... This is uh, Dr. Shashkank Kreletti, MD, by the way. <laughs> plucking a gray hair will only get you a new gray, gray hair... hair in its place because there is only one hair that is able to grow per follicle. Okay, I, You're surrounded, I know that. I know that. I know that. Your surrounding hairs will not turn white until their own follicle pigment cells die. Okay, that's fine. I changed my position. Yeah, okay. What's, which is not, what position are you getting into? I have a <laughs> position, which still is going to prevent you from plucking those hairs off my head, which is that I understand that more is not going to pop up in its place. However, it's going to grow back even more bristly and wild. <laughs> yeah, so that's also in here. Talk, does he talk about the bristly and the wild stuff? So all they say in here, so it, it doesn't talk about like the hair being uh, like bristly damaged and wild. or bristly and wild. Specifically, uh, Dr. Crilletti does go on to talk about the bristle, bristled wild nature of some gray hairs. <laughs> <laughs> but they do say, and I, I want to acknowledge this, also, 
I don't often try and pull out your gray hairs. This was like a rare occasion that I just happened to you, see. You're one. saying this is a special occasion, right? That I should have taken. Advantage is that Dr. Crelletti does say if there is a gray hair you must get rid of, very carefully cut it off, because plucking a hair can traumatize the hair follicle, and repeated trauma can cause inflammation or lead to balding in that area because it's it's traumatizing the area. You were trying to traumatize my area. Well, I was before I knew that I was, and Dr. Coletti told me not to, so I'm not going to do I it. Now I can't decide. I'm not letting you anywhere near me with scissors, first of all. <laughs> so that's so what I... Dr. Coletti, you can just That's what I gleaned from this is I can now come at you with some scissors so no, I can... No, you can't. No, you can't. Listen, man, just because you're jealous because you can't cut your own hair <laughs> doesn't uh, mean you can come after my luscious locks. As silly as, my this, luscious, as we've my taken this. My bristly and wild gray locks. As silly as we've taken this. Yeah. Embrace your gray hair. Embrace your gray. Who cares? No, I don't care. It's like, just that here's what it is. Do you yeah. know what it is? Yeah, yeah, go for I, it. This is a deep psychological thing that I'm about to oh, peel back the curtain on. Right at the end here. I like it. I love plucking hairs. I love it. It is like you're control. Creep. You're a creep. I'm a real creep. And so, <laughs> and I, there's also something really, really satisfying about seeing all of my like reddish auburn hair and then seeing the little wild and bristly gray ones <laughs> pop out and they're short. And I'm like, I can pluck that. So, but now Dr. Coletti has told you, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna... I'm going to traumatize my follicles. <laughs> it's fine. Just cut I'm them. I'm not afraid to admit it. <laughs> Me cutting all these like not really close to the thing, <laughs> just, like, little gray spiky ones. Like, like it's just not close to the root at all. It's just like at the top. You just like cut yeah. all the top. Oh my uh, nose is running because I'm laughing. Yeah, this is Gross. great. Uh, so good. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed another segment of We Googled That for You and another episode of Wandering Aimfully, the show. The show. We'll give a shout out since we did mention it, and this episode is about customers. If you jive with us, you know, if you feel like we're the wild and bristly people that you want to hang out with. <laughs> You've been looking for some wild and bristly peeps. And if you go to wanderingamefully.com slash join, and we have managed your expectations of what you think our membership is about, we'd love to have you join. We'd love to have you be a customer. We'd love to have you try Wandering Aimfully. That's one thing that I am really learning to be okay with in this new season of business for us, is that if someone wants to sign up for Wandering Aimfully for a month, and then they want to cancel because they find that it's not right for them or whatever, I'm going to be okay with that. Yeah, especially because it goes back to everything we said before about customers, which is like, we don't want to just keep your money if it's not right for you. Totally. Um, but we also want people to have the opportunity to really you know, try out a product that we think is going to be really great for them. I will say I, I have a big shout out to give to Jeremy, Martha, Marcus, and Vanessa. Specifically. Who are wanting Aimfully members and all of them purchased our annual membership and to a T they all were just basically like I'm committing to this for a year and they're not going to be a month-to-month person and there's nothing wrong with being a month-to-month person I want to make that clear yeah but I love that they're like I'm committing to this and and I think that's a really cool thing so if that sounds right to you wanderingamefully.com slash join we open up once a month 30 spots only we would love to have you and see if you're a good fit for our community and if our information is a good fit to help you create the life and business you want definitely now as far as the show stuff goes if you enjoyed this podcast we hope that you'll subscribe we also hope that you'll leave a rating and a review and something fun that we do is if you leave a review um, and you screenshot it and you send it to hello at wanderingaimfully.com we will send you a nice nice little postcard in which we review your review and just send you a nice little note because we're weird like that Um, and also if you're watching this on YouTube hit the subscribe button and you will get all of our videos not just our podcast episodes so do all the things those are your to do's here at the end and then don't pluck your gray hairs because Dr. Carletti told us not to 